Welcome to the show, everybody. Our guest, Hari Alexander, is best known as a woman's and couples counselor, a relational guide, a seer, and an intuitive healer. And what she mostly does is she's a guide for women who have become disconnected from their true feelings to heal trauma and reconnect with their authentic expression to call in deeper love, deeper love with the masculine. Um, and Hari is a uh, she's a special person. She's uh, she's really cool. Um, she's a phenomenal counselor, as you'll see in this conversation, um, because this was a, a very, very, very vulnerable conversation. This is definitely, definitely the most vulnerable conversation I've ever done. I got teared up in one other podcast. This one, I definitely teared up the most. This, this one got super, super, um... Yeah, vulnerable at the end um, for myself. Yeah, just I kind of confronted one of my biggest fears in the world. Um, but in this vulnerable conversation with Hari, you'll discover what men value in relationships versus what women value in relationships. And this is generally speaking, this is more the masculine energetic versus the feminine energetic, um, which usually relates to men and women, but not always. Um, we also talk about why youth today are more emotionally mature than the youth of previous generations, which is a very interesting journey we go down there. We also talk about how modern technologies can speed up the evolution process of human beings, how Western society has bred a culture of mistrust and control issues, and a lot of us are deeply traumatized, which we get into in the podcast, um, how the law of attraction may work differently from what we have been taught, how our traumas develop our values and our personality. If you look at it, if you look at your life, you'll realize that a lot of the time your traumas develop your core values. Um, in a very important way. We also talk about how Hari's uh, spiritual awakening process and how it actually happened at exactly the age I'm at right now. And so that was really interesting. And to already see the same patterns emerging in my awakening process and her awakening process, which is fascinating. And then lastly, as I alluded to, Hari and I share some... uh, vulnerable insights stories um yeah into some of our core fears insecurities and just really come to terms with how most of how we identify ourselves and most of the things we tell other people and we gloat about and we're confident about are a lot of the time really just a lot of overcompensation strategies and how we become very good at conning other people, and especially ourselves, um, and convincing ourselves that we are not really as afraid as we truly feel inside. So yeah, this, this was a vulnerable one, everybody, and I hope you all enjoy it. 
Before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank our first sponsor of the show, Listening to Smile, and its founder and personal friend of mine, Ian Morris. Listening to Smile is one of the companies leading the movement to bring frequency-minded music to the mainstream. And for anyone who doesn't know, frequency-minded music is music that is infused with binaural beats and frequencies that enhance and speed up our body's natural healing mechanisms. And Ian's music is actively healing the world and is currently inspiring open-minded leaders in Silicon Valley to include his music in their products and to help them create a workplace culture that is focused on mental health and well-being. And I personally use Listening to Smile's products every single day to support me with stress relief and is my music of choice for my daily meditation practice. And Listening to Smile has two main programs. The first is their personal wellness program, and this is for personal use, and this consists of healing albums for stress relief, pain relief, and anxiety relief. And the second program is their affiliate program. This is what I'm currently part of, and this is for commercial use, and this is the exciting one. So what you get with this is two free starter albums and one brand new album every single month. You also get access to monthly live coaching events with founder Ian Morris and commission earnings on album sales, a 50% discount on all music purchases, and licensing, right, licensing rights to use and resell LTS music for commercial use. So... If you're interested in transforming your life and entering the expanding frontier of frequency-minded music, be sure to go to www.listeningtosmile.com and experience it for yourself. And at checkout, make sure to use code ANTON to get 40% off all albums and $100 off of their affiliate program. So enjoy, everyone. I also want to take a moment to thank our second sponsor of the show, Vidara, and their My Indigo Sun magazine. The mission of My Indigo Sun is to help you live a healthy and inspired life and is dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest information related to the realms of the body, mind, and spirit. And I actually met the founder, Katerina, um, at an event earlier this year. And within five minutes, it was very clear that we were aligned and that we were going to be doing a partnership. And like myself and many of you, the people of Vidara are dreamers who see that the beautiful world we see ahead of us starts with us. So in addition to being their in-house podcaster, I'm also part of the working group helping my Indigo son to transition into a world-class publication. So if you are interested in transforming your life and taking part in an evolving spiritual community, be sure to go to www.myindigosun.com and check out the magazine for free. And now on to our podcast with Hari Alexandra. Hari, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. So as I as I alluded to off screen, um, what I want to jump in from the very beginning is this kind of came to me as I was coming up with some questions. But because you uh, you work with a lot of women, you work with a lot of couples as a counselor and as as a relational guide, as you like to call it. Um, I'm very curious from your experience working with couples. What are the biggest misunderstandings women have about, about men and men have about women? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, well, I don't really have such gender specific things, but what I would say is that it's always pretty much down to communication. 
Mm. Like whenever I get a couple together and there's like, you know, they, they come and there's kind of like a stagnant energy between them. It's just because, you know, when you get like that in a relationship and you, you don't really hear each other and, you know, there's just so much trauma in the way of being able to hear each other. And as soon as there's a third person, sometimes it's it's a bit safer and easier to speak and be heard by your partner because there's a third buffer. So I find that a lot of the times the sessions, like people are sort of like this energetically and then by the mm. end they're together. And a lot of the time it's just me holding space or asking the questions to each of them to bring out the deepest stuff. And then usually their partner's like, oh, I didn't know that because <laughs> they didn't have the space to share that or they didn't have the right questions in order to be given that, if that makes sense. And yeah, it's all about kind of a safe space. But I've just had something come to me about men. I would say that men always, quite a lot, they feel like nothing they ever do is good enough for a woman. Mm. Because, you know, there, there's a big pattern generalizing here of men wanting to please their mother you know and depending on what oh. kind of mother they had you know it's like so men try so hard and quite often they feel like it's not enough for the woman and for women i would say a lot of the time it's not feeling the man's presence like you know whatever just like when you're here with me are you actually here i'm like actually feeling you it's not necessarily so much about yeah, it's like feeling his presence and then he doesn't necessarily have to say anything. It's more just about feeling him with her. But obviously that's those two sort of interlink because yeah. if he doesn't feel good enough, he's like, well, whatever, nothing I'm going to do is good enough, so I'm just going to zone out. And then she's like, you're not even here. So it's <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a – that's one sticking point, I would say, that comes up sometimes. Mm. That's interesting. Like, it just makes me think um, that, like, in relationships, we often don't have access to a part of ourselves, or at least we feel like we don't have access to a part of ourselves. Because as what you just said, like, you'll be the third, you'll be a mediator, you'll be a third party, and they're kind of angry at each other. And then you provide the space for them to be vulnerable and share how they actually feel, their fears, their frustrations, which most of their frustrations are a lot of the time fears, kind of masked and projected forwards. Um, same with a lot of time anger. Anger is usually weaponized hurt from my experience um, or crossing a boundary. So there, there's se several types. But one like kind of anger that I feel like you get in relationships a lot in the the I'd almost call it chronic anger that like sizzling under the surface suppressed all rage. the time It's suppressed rage. And then it's like, cause yeah, you don't feel valued. You don't feel like the, the man, as you just said, doesn't feel respected, doesn't feel valued. And then that's an interesting one. Uh, and again, this, there is no right answer to this. I'm just genuinely, genuinely curious with you, with your expertise. Um, have you noticed and I like what you said too before. You said that it's not necessarily a man and a woman problem. From what I gathered from that is between the lines I'm reading here is it's more of a masculine, feminine, energetic problem. Is is some a woman could be in the masculine, energetic, and then could end up maybe even almost acting like a lot of the like working out those manly problems, and then vice versa. Generally, it's the other way around. 
But so I'm, I'm curious from even if we get beyond the man, the woman for a moment, or we can do a man, woman, who do you think is from what you've gathered? What do you think is the main instigator? Is it usually the man who doesn't feel like, or is it literally just, if you know what I mean, is it like one party will create the catalyst for the spinning out of control or is it, yeah, how do you see the beginning of these issues play out? I mean, it's always a symbiosis. It's never just one-sided. So, and on both sides, everything always pretty much roots back to childhood. Mm. So it's not, for me, it's not necessarily finding about like, okay, he started it or it's coming from him. It's more like how are, is these two persons trauma interacting and where where is it like it's doing this rather than this and i'm all about making the bridge so that they can understand what's happening between each other because that's usually what happens like you know i'll do something for my trauma my partner's like he's seeing it through his projection of reality and he's like oh she's being like this and then i come back and i'm like oh this is actually what's happening and he's like oh that isn't what i thought and it's mm. it's it's very rare that the way we see reality through our little projection screen is actually what's happening to that person. So what I do is I'm like, okay, I try to see both sides, see the bigger picture, zone into each person to validate their experience and open it up so that each of them can see clearly, oh, there's just a little child hurting inside. And for them to then have empathy for each other and then for themselves. And then once you're clearer on how each of you work, it's easier to have compassion and empathy rather than like this idea or this story that we've been running, like they're trying to hurt me. They're doing this on purpose. We get all of that out of the way. I mean, it doesn't mean this is just maybe with one specific topic, but it really helps because then when that certain pattern comes up or trigger comes up again, there's more space because there's more understanding of what's happening. If it makes sense. Yeah. From what I gather by that is like, you're trying to humanize them. You're trying to humanize both parties to themselves because when you were speaking about that, like what came to me is that we project our relationship with our mother and our father onto our partner. So if our, like, cause that's the main, that's the most intimate relationship we know. And we've been around our parents for so long, a lot of the time that we have so much information and we, we, we have so much of a capacity to fill in the gaps um, with the, that, those projections. So if someone does something that reminds you of like, let's say you're a man and your wife does something or your girlfriend does something that reminds you of what your mom used to do, then you'll just fill in the blank. You'll, and again, you don't know why she did it, but you're like, there is an archetypal pattern because in some sense, I'm not sure why this is the case, but I, I feel like in some sense, like Carl Jung always used to talk about archetypes, like when he was alive. <laughs> That's what I mean, used to. Um, so he always used to talk about, he always talked about archetypes, right? And then in some sense, I feel like, you know, when you come into the world, your parents are gods, right? They aren't really real. They're, they're, they're gods. They're the, the holders of justice and virtue. And whatever they do in some sense is, is the truth until you learn that it's not. And I think in some sense, because you're around them at that age, when you're in like a lot of the time theta brainwave patterns, so zero to seven, you're just a sponge. And so like you almost see your parents every day or you see them so consistently. Like I remember um, someone asked, 
I think it was Jordan Peterson, what an archetype is. And he said an archetype, like a, a way of looking at it, is like when a, a girl plays with a, um, a dollhouse and there's, there's a parent, there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a kid. Like she knows what a father instinctually is. She knows what a mother is. And it's like the father that she creates a story of in her head to play make-believe with the dollhouse, none of the things she makes a father did are probably real, but they're all kind of a culmination of everything she saw her father do or everything she saw fathers on TV do. And so these archetypes, in some sense, from what I gather, are a collection of of every experience you've had with a pattern and the pattern is the father. So it's like, you've seen your father a thousand times in your life. And then you, you almost subconsciously, you take those thousand incidences of being around your father. And it's like in a moment, your brain um, combines all of the things that are consistent and it takes away all the things that aren't. So out of those a thousand experiences, what you is the only thing left is the archetypal pattern of the father or that relationship you have with authority with someone you love because a lot of the time the reason from what i've gathered your relationship with your partner is very similar to your relationship with your parent or so or or someone like that is because i remember paul check saying that your relationship with your partner a lot of the time in love you are experiencing that relationship and love from the maturity level of a child. Most of the time, it's not adults being present in relationships. It's children. Because and sometimes we love this person enough to open our hearts up, let our walls down. And then what we're left with is our scars and our traumas. And so there isn't really a, a question in this as much. Um but yeah, like I just back to this idea of like, you know, yeah, just being around like men and women. Um, what have you noticed that I know you said that men often feel like they aren't valued and that whatever they do isn't good enough. Women feel a lack of presence with men. What from what you've gathered from most women and most men, what do they want? Like, what are the like, some of the base things that you've noticed they want? Well, I think it's what everyone wants, which is to feel loved. Because to me, when I really condense it down, all of my traumas, everything that I have inside of me, when I boil it down, when I percolate it, it's all me not feeling loved or not feeling accepted as I am. So to really simplify it, most of, most of the trauma we have that is the base because if there was love there initially and we really felt seen and we really felt loved, it wouldn't be a trauma because that's the very reason trauma got created because there mm. wasn't anyone there to hold us, to witness us, to love us in that, you know? So it's like so much of my trauma is, you know, I was alone in it and I mm. didn't know what was going on and I was isolated. And so it all got internalized rather than, you know, and that's, it ends up how we, treat our inner child you know we have stuff coming mm. up and we just push it aside we're like oh no no like go into a room and just be alone rather than you know if you see a kid now and you see them crying your instinct is to go up to them and be like are you okay we don't <laughs> quite often until we start doing inner work we don't do that with our own inner child because we didn't necessarily receive that 
you know, with the intense traumas when we were kids. Mm. So yeah, that would be my yeah your, your answer to that. Hmm. I, I'm just thinking of like how pervasive trauma is in society. It's huge. Like I'm like, how did how did we get to a point, or have we just always been like, have we ever had, pardon me, like have our shit together? Like I, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm curious, like, because one one way of looking at it is like, how do we get to a point where we're all so traumatized, and our parents are so traumatized, and their parents are so traumatized, or have we never? Is it not like we had something good and we lost it, or maybe we've never had? a mentally healthy society and we're actually hopefully in the next thousand years going to develop into that what's your perspective on culture and trauma and just how it's become or always has been so pervasive i mean i think in the ancient civilizations that aren't talked about so much like atlantis i think these were much healthier and much more intelligent civilizations than we are now that's why they kind of been shunned and said, oh, yeah, it's just a myth. So I think we are coming to this crux of just the absolute shit of humanity, basically, like the way that we're living isn't sustainable in all ways. And that's where the tipping point happens. That's where, you know, things have to crack. So we're, I think for me anyway, we're in that time in history now, which is it's an amazing time to be alive. But it's just very intense. So I feel that. Yeah, humanity as it is right now is at is at a huge change, and that's why, you know, the word trauma is everywhere now. It wasn't like twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah. No one talked about trauma, like Gabor Mate, like the work he's doing in the world, incredible. And people people can receive him because he's not just spiritual. You know, he's got the science background, and it's mm. amazing. And it's so it's everywhere now. So the awareness is huge, just because it's time. And mm. there is something about the timing as well. Like if you look at the kids that are being born now, they're so much more aware really? than I was. Yeah, like they're much, the consciousness is higher. Like the, the consciousness of the planet is expanding. It's getting higher because we are shifting as a planet into something else. So it's sort of about the time as well. Like we were just born in a time where it was like, it was just starting to open and mm. now we're getting to experience it. But like if I'm to have a child, like in a few years, I'll be they'll probably be way more awake than I was and you know and then hopefully because I'm choosing to do the work they might not get as traumatized as I, as I did you know yeah do you um do you think they're more mature than we are purely from an energetic standpoint or do you think it's access to the internet mm, I think or both I don't know if the I mean, the internet is incredible in a way, but if you if you look at what the internet is, <laughs> it's just it's a it's a technology to always be connected to everyone. But as as us as humans, we have that ability inside of us. We 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 can be telepathic, and we can connect with people wherever. You know, you you ever had that thing where you like think of a friend and you're like, oh, I haven't heard them for a while, and the next day they text you. Because yeah. they felt you feeling them. That's This is the World Wide Web in us. So the internet is just that. And I think that the kids coming in, they're more attuned to them being the technology. So it's not necessarily that they're more mature. I think they're just, they're just kind of like more, more, more aware or more conscious, let's say. 
like more switched on just just because of the timing of mm. the planet and how it is the frequency <clears throat> that they come in at I yeah think. yeah i know what you mean and then there's like because because i've been thinking about this like this exact same thing um the maturity level of children seems to be way higher than it was when i was a kid as well and i think about like again i think about podcasts and the internet and i'm like there was a time when i would have to accidentally stumble upon incredible works of art um i would have to stumble upon leonardo da vinci or this person or that person and those things weren't to my knowledge weren't as readily available and I like at least with me I'm auditory more than I am visual so I have an I've I'm more efficient uh, retaining and gathering information aud- auditorily than than physically so like I listen to so or at least I listen to I don't listen to as many anymore but I listen to so many podcasts and like a podcast is like you are literally just hanging out with someone who's brilliant you know what I mean it would be like you know, the technologies we have access to today are like hanging out for literally 300 to 600 hours with Leonardo da Vinci. Like that's what a podcast is. Like I've listened to 100 to 200, probably around 100 episodes of Paul Check, um, 100 to 200 episodes of Aubrey Marcus, um, you know, just very wise people. Like our generation's Leonardo's and Rudolf Steiner's and stuff. And we can argue that maybe they were more brilliant back then. Who, who cares? But it's like we have just access to like literally being a fly on the wall of hundreds of hours of conversations behind closed doors of brilliant people. We didn't have that before. Like we only had these in some sense, like I like books. But I find them much more boring than podcasts because podcasts, for me at least, I I love podcasts because they're so conversational. They're so colloquial. Well, it's, it's it's a, exactly it's, it's alive. It's like a and and again, a lot of books weren't written with two people at the same time. It would be one person kind of isolated, and then writing a book. Um, and it's like they didn't have the filming technology before, like I think the nineteen hundreds, if I recall correctly. Um, to, re- to really record things. Mm. And so how would you piece together something that could have the potency of a podcast? Because a podcast, or at least the way I do them and the way that the people I follow do them, is you get two or more brilliant people in a room and you just talk for three hours or two hours or one hour. And it's like, we've never had that before. And so, you know, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I think there is this awakening awakening process and then astrologically numeral numero you know what i'm trying to say yeah i know what you're saying um so it's like you know i remember i think it was alan watts who said what astrology is or at least your natal chart is the universe you you at birth are a snapshot of the universe at the time of your birth So the energies of the universe, where the universe was, where consciousness was in the cosmos, that's who you are. And all these energies flow in different angles and different all these things. And even if you get an astrocartography, you see how they actually influence geographically different places on Earth. 
right? And so when you look at yourself, you're like, I'm a snapshot of the universe at the time. So if the universe is expanding, if the universe is growing more consciousness, it would make sense that the people born at a later date than you would be snapshots of the universe waking up even more. Every year, the universe is getting a bit more awake. And so the kids that are born 20, 30 years after us, it's like, it would make sense that they're more awake or have the potential to be more awake. And then you, yeah. you you have this interesting push and pull, I feel, of mainstream culture and propaganda and essentially like, like almost brainwashing. Um, and I don't want to call it brainwashing. I want to call it everything is projecting its worldview onto you, good or bad. Everything is always a projection of a worldview being put on you. And so my, when someone tunes into my podcast, what's being projected upon them is my worldview. When someone watches a TV show or reality TV or this or that, they're getting a projection of that worldview. And sometimes those worldviews are being manicured um, to actually have an impact on people in a certain way. So I, I sometimes feel like the youth of today in a weird way are these beings that are full of so much potential and they have access to this thing called the internet, which is like a speed of light pathway of all information that they have access to. And they can get it so quickly. They don't have to go to a library. They don't have to go to the Library of Alexandria. They don't have to go to the Vatican. They don't have to go and go through all of these hoops to get access to brilliant technology or information. They literally can just download a podcast on their phone. And then, as I said, then there's this like push and pull of there is brilliant stuff on the internet and then there is mind-numbing propaganda on the internet. And I find that especially it seems like the children of today, there's like almost like I feel like a, a war and I don't want to make it seem overly dramatic, but there's this conflict being played out on the highway that they are getting most of their information, which is the highway of the internet. And that highway of the internet, you can almost see it has cartels, has police officers, has yogis, has all these people, and they're all trying to take up real estate on this highway, and they're all almost fighting for control of this highway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is true. Like, yeah, the souls coming in now are definitely whatever, of a higher frequency, but yeah, like, the, I remember when I was like nine or whatever and the internet was like a new thing and I was like, yeah. oh my God. They're coming in with that. It's just normal. And yeah, if if they are directed to the good stuff, awesome. But you need so much discernment these days, like you said, about what you're actually tapping into. Because for me, like I like podcasts and stuff, but I'm very particular about what information I let enter my brain. And I don't, really? I just wait, I, I wait until I'm guided because like, for instance, I love Matthias Di Stefano. Me too. For him, I got a big yeah. ding, ding, ding. He's amazing. <laughs> but still, there's only so much I can take in at a time because the information is just like, yeah. I can't just keep <laughs> binge listening. So, and I love Aubrey Marcus too, but it's like, I just, I wait until I'm cooled, until I have space because there is such a thing as information overload. Yeah. Knowledge isn't necessarily good. Like, just having so much information in our brain, like, for me, it's like, what am I being pulled to? what 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 am I being directed to because that's the wisdom of what I'm here to give what I'm here to do so I just 
I use all these amazing people that have things out there to accessorize what I already have, not to just like busy and like get more shit in the way because there's just information overload these days. There's so much stuff. So I really try to practice discernment with that. And that's the thing with kids, right? Like, like we can't really necessarily control them with the internet. They're just going to do what they're pulled to. But what they're pulled to is going to be what they're pulled to. So some kids will be really into doing yoga from a young age and some kids will just want to play video games. Like there's no right or wrong. It's just what they're here to experience also. So, but I think everything is way more intense these days because the speed of technology, like what we have available Mm. now is so different to when I was a kid. Like I was watching like video cassette tapes and you know, now you just watch Netflix. Like there's no fucking DVD. Like no one, no one even does DVDs these days. It's all like online and there's no CDs and it's just, it's just everything is online. It's so different. Everything mm. is super fast and throwaway. That's the that's the thing. So it's like because you have so much available, you just go pum 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 pum. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. But it's like, is it actually going in? True. Yeah. And like f- Tinder, like oh yeah, there's so many people. <laughs> I'll just swipe. Oh, I don't even give a fuck. Whatever. And it's like, what the <laughs> hell? Like if you wouldn't do this twenty years ago, just like that guy in the bar. No, no, no. You just go up and talk to them. It's kind of like that with information too. Like there's so much information. It's like. We just take wow. it in, but we're not really listening. So I, I really like, okay, I'm really going to listen mm. to this and give it my full presence rather than doing a podcast and doing 10 other things at once, which is what most people do. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of going through a process like what you're talking about right now. Um, Cause I think I told you I'm moving to Mexico on Saturday. Um, I don't think I, you told me that. Like, I, that's I, cool. I, I guess I did. Amazing. That, that, thank you. And one thing is I, by default, or at least the way I've been conditioned and trained, is I essentially I don't trust anything but myself. Um, that's, I didn't. Tr- that's I didn't, great. In a sense, it's like I didn't trust my father growing up. I didn't trust a lot of people growing up. I didn't trust teachers. I didn't trust anything because I was expelled twice, suspended like twenty five times. So I only trust myself. And in some sense, beyond that, I don't even trust myself because what I've what I've gathered is that. I only trust systems like so essentially like I need to know where I'm going to end up. So in my trip to Mexico, as of right now, I don't know where I'm going to end up in Mexico. Right. Um, just the, like I talked to a psychic and she just said that this part of your journey is just about learning and trust the universe. Right. And so I was talking to my soul and I was asking for information about where I'm going to end up. No information. The only piece of information my soul will give me is the first week of my six month stay. Like it will give me the first week, won't give me anything after. And it's super Time str- to let go of control. Exactly. Yay. Exactly. And it's <laughs> it is hey. monumentally stressful for me. It is like I I feel a little bit of panic. Um, because I've been trained that if I don't put in all of the work, everything will fall apart. Like, that's what I mean by I don't trust anything but myself. And even, like, I don't trust my higher self. I trust my lower self. I trust my grinding self. Like, that's the self I trust, not the higher self. Because I, I, up until August, I didn't even have access to what my higher self was. I didn't have in, uh, access to my intuition. I didn't have access barely to my instincts. Or at least... I wasn't aware I had access. I still think I had access. I think that the universe has been um, guiding me my entire life. But the difference is now I'm aware of its guidance before it was unconscious. I was unaware of its guidance. 
If you've only just started playing with that or practicing with it, it's going to take time until you go, whoa, because you, you've been whole, your whole life on this operating system of like, I'm in control. Yeah. So it's really hard to suddenly be like, okay, actually, I realize to actually genuinely like, okay, yeah, I'm not actually in control. Like I think I am, but I'm not. And just have to like, it's a big journey. Like I'm in that journey too, of fully trusting like How long abundance. have you been on this journey? I would say when my Saturn return came. So when I was 27, that's when it started. I'm 34 now. Mm. But there's levels of it. There's so many levels of it, Anton. So I'm in like the deepest level of it that I've ever been in now, which is like fully letting go of like control with money and like, okay, I need to be in control. I need to know that I've got enough money for this. It's like, no, I'm just going to trust in the universe. The more I put out this energy of like, I'm not going to have enough money, then I'm going to create that. So I just like keep coming back to like feeling that fear, giving it space and then just relaxing and into the knowing that the universe is abundant and I'm always taken care of. Because whenever I look back in my life, anything I worried about, it always worked out. Maybe mm. not in the way that I wanted it to, but I didn't end up on my ass. I'm still alive. Okay. So, so this is what I'm in. Yeah. So here's a mind fuck question. Um you know how they talk about law of attraction and what you just said, how if you think negative thoughts, you get negative things come your way. Well, from what you just said, every time negative things came my way or things seemed to fall apart, they worked themselves out. So do you think you can actually, with negative thoughts, do you think you can actually essentially fuck up your life beyond repair? Or do you think in some sense you're actually like almost meant to have like from a higher level? You were meant to have those those negative thoughts to have an experience to learn from that experience to talk to other people. You know what I mean? Why well, kind of we're like a radio, right? Our brain is like a radio, so we've just got endless waves going through, which are thoughts. We can't really change those thoughts. So, like, mm. I have loads of negative thoughts about like, oh, you're going to run out of money. You're going to have to go back and live with your mom. Like, you're going to be a loser, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm just like, after hearing those so many times, I'm like. I'm not listening to that. They're still there. Like I, the thoughts don't go. Maybe each time they come up and I go, okay, I see what it is. I recognize you. Then I drop down into my belly and I feel the fear. Mm. I give that space. And then maybe that fear like releases a little bit. But it doesn't go. It's just my relationship to it changes. My relationship to these repetitive thoughts changes. And mm. at some point, I see them and I'm like, oh yeah, like I just, you just tune them out, but they're still there. It's just, mm. I don't give them any energy. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily like the negative thoughts create a bad life. It's like what happens after that? Like, okay, yeah, I believe that I'm going to move in with my mum, and I'm going to run out of money. And then everything from that thought causes me to go into loads of anxiety and make bad decisions. And like from that place of me believing that's true, I make loads of crazy decisions that's got oh. kill her. That's what that's how I feel it works. I just had an epiphany. Aubrey Marcus and Blue talked about this exact same thing on a podcast. They were talking about law of attraction. And they're saying the misconception a lot of people have about law of attraction, which you pretty much just said, is most people think when I think negative thoughts, I'm going to think I'm going to move in with my mom. I'm going to change like my destiny. I'm going to, you know, fall off my destiny path, blow up and die. You know what I mean? Essentially, my life's going to fall apart. But what I think it was blue. She said something really interesting. She's like, the manifest, the thing you're manifesting isn't necessarily like, because again, from everything you just said, 
every time I had negative thoughts and I was focusing on fear and I was focusing and oh my God, I'm in this terrible place. The universe had my back. And when I look back, it was all perfect. So every, if, if every time you focused on the wrong thing and ended up perfect, it means that maybe it wasn't the wrong thing. Maybe it was just an experience you needed. And then Baloo, she said, what the law of attraction really is, from her perspective, and I'm very curious, I want to dive more into this meditate on this myself, is that what the law of attraction does is it brings you the emotion of what you're feeling. So if you're going through like a, a rough time, physically you know what i mean just like okay life's kind of falling apart objectively speaking like you know i just lost my job i just my mom just died um you can get caught up focusing on those negative things and then when you're focusing on the negativity what maybe is actually the only thing manifesting is the emotion of the thing you're feeling or, or the thing you're focusing on so if you're focusing on death let's say if you just death's happening all around you and i'm walking through the valley of death I don't have to get caught up in the grand illusion of death. I can walk straight through the cemetery and just focus on other things, you know, playing guitar or like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write a song. Butterflies. You could literally be walking through a 10 minute walk through a cemetery and the whole time you could be in your head. Then when I get home, I'm going to, I'm going to write a new song. Oh man, there's this awesome song. And literally there's death all around you. Right. And then, so maybe what the law of attraction is, is what a lot of people do. They see death all around them. And they, they get so focused in on the death that they actually feel death. They feel the decay. They feel the sensation of decay. They feel the emotion of decay. And then that's what's manifesting. So maybe it's like, who knows? I don't know. But because again, like the more I, I talk to people who are very in, like not enlightened, but tapped in and self-aware, it's like, okay, what event in your life that you thought was terrible was actually terrible? Or is it everything you thought that was terrible, you look back and you realize it was the best moment ever. So it's like, okay, all those times when you were caught up in the morass of how terrible your life is, it was actually beautiful and it was perfect. So is there oh, any, yeah. is, is anybody, has anybody actually like kind of, and I know we're in some sense, in a weird way, we're a different breed of human being. Um, it would just like, when I look at some people that, die at birth a baby that dies at birth at birth a baby that gets caught in gang warfare and then like a kid like you know a 13 year old kid 15 gets caught in gang warfare and dies um i'm like i don't you know i don't think my life path was meant for that in some sense like i don't know if i would ever actually kind of end up in a gang like you know me incarnating in this lifetime, this is just a hypothesis. I don't know. I have to talk to people that have kind of thought about this more than I have and, and again, meditate on it. But like, you know, I feel like when I came this lifetime with my personality, the life events I was supposed to have as a kid, my astrology chart, my numerology, all of these different factors, these maps of my life. It was like, is any part of that map like, yeah, he might end up, you know, homeless and being in a gang in New York. I'm like, I just, I don't know how anything in my life could end up there. Like my personal life. And so from what I'm, I'm getting at back to this idea, and I want your perspective on this. Yeah. Do you think that maybe what law of attraction actually is manifesting is the emotion of something? Or do you think it's actually can influence the event that happens? Like, can it attract an event that usually would not happen in your life? Um, and bring it forward into your life. How do you kind of see that relationship? 
the the only thing that's coming to me is that the universe is whatever you need, whatever's inside of you that needs to come out. The universe is a reflection for that. Be it a dog, be it you right now, be it anyone like this plant. So it's like whatever is inside of me, everything is a reflection. So pretty much like that's how I see it. I don't, I don't really, what you asked before about can it attract a super random event? I mean, anything is possible, really. Like there's, there's freak things that happen to people all the time, right? That you, they never would have expected. Um, so yeah, it's possible. Um, but I would say, yeah, like what you were saying about Blue saying about the law of attraction as emotion. In that sense, yeah, like you're having these repetitive thoughts, these negative things, then your emotions are pulling something is coming to you so that you can free yourself of this emotion because this emotion is kind of, it wants to move and it's likely that it's not moving because you're stuck in a loop and you're not mm. necessarily in the body feeling or giving space for it to move. And I just, I just had like a de-armoring session today, which was incredible. What, which what is, is like A de-armoring session? De-armoring like in your body, oh. like this, um, my friend would press, specific points in my body because I hold a lot of tension in my jaw for instance it's where like when I've been angry in the past I've just been like I'm fine so there's all this tension here I'd be holding it so hard and you press it so hard that I would have to release through my voice and then my whole body would be shaking releasing Ooh. this like old energy so it's like when we just are more open and, you know, we have these thoughts or whatever, and then we have an accompanying emotion and the universe brings us something to try and bring that emotion out. Usually what happens is we either completely disconnect and stay in the thought or we just completely disassociate so that emotion gets trapped. But when we're more open, we just allow it to, the emotion to come out, whether it's anger, joy, sadness, whatever it might be, then it doesn't get trapped. So I think it's it's always like that because we are just energy in motion, right? We are energy and it's just everything is always moving. And we as humans tend to get a bit stagnant because we don't get taught necessarily how to move through things. And we get quite a lot of trauma in our childhood. So in that way, yeah, I think the law of attraction is helping us. Like even mm. when my partner does something that really annoys me, I'm like, oh, it's actually a gift. Maybe I don't see it as a gift in the moment, but afterwards I'm like, well, He's really showing me that I have a shitload of anger still. And mm. I wanna I wanna vomit that on him when really it's about my dad. So mm. there's always a gift in it. Maybe you don't have to see it in the moment, but when you can reflect and see that. I just want to say what you said earlier about like I think that we can have traumatic things happen in our life that maybe we never really fully get over. Like my dad died when I was nine. I don't necessarily look back at that and go, oh, it was better than I thought it was. But what I do see is that it brought me to where I am now. And I, this life path, I don't think I would have come to start healing people and give holding the space for people had I not had that experience. And that's not to say that, you know, my sisters, they didn't become healers, but it was just it. I needed that springboard to get me to where I am now. And that's the gift. So there is always a gift in when we look back, but it, sometimes it can be harder to find. And I yeah. think it's always easy. And, and sometimes I feel like things aren't even necessarily gifts. I feel like they're just 
they are the thing that programs our values. Um, I was thinking about this this morning on a walk about my father. And I realized that my main, one of my primary values in life is freedom. That's, that's a very big thing. Emotional freedom, physical freedom, freedom of self-expression, all these things. Because my father denied my freedom growing up, essentially. Um, not physically, but just emotionally through manipulation, emotionally and sometimes even physically. Um, he denied freedom to the degree that my soul craved and cried out for freedom. And it's like, this is the one value I will not negotiate because it's too painful because I know what it feels like to not have freedom. So even in that degree, I don't look at that event and I go, oh man, that's such a gift. It, it made me like value freedom. It's like, it's almost beyond that. It's like, like Anton Zakor, so much of who he is in this lifetime and again, Anton Zakor is this lifetime. Again, my soul is not necessarily Anton Zakor, but Anton Zakor, this incarnation, like so much of my personality is just like because of those events in my life. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, why do we value peace? Why do we value harmony? Why do we value strength? Why do we value freedom? Like probably because there was some event that was traumatic and, and maybe for some people not traumatic. Maybe they were able to develop a value without trauma. That'd be interesting. But for, for I think a lot of us, we value, we develop values through trauma because usually trauma is a denial of something. It is a denial of what something that the human species needs, wants, and requires. So, you know, there is this natural um, human need for freedom, freedom of self-expression, freedom of liberation, freedom of travel, freedom of being able to live your life the way you want to live it. And most people don't value freedom very highly because they haven't had it restricted. And then people like me that were restricted that very thing, like oxygen. You know what I mean? Someone who has restricted oxygen would probably end up devoting some aspect of their life to the understanding of the human breath, of the lungs. You, you almost end up with like a Wim Hof, someone who's devoted their life to understanding the physiological effects of cold on the body. That's it's not what he did it though. <laughs> I, I know it was because oh, really it was because his, his wife died yeah. um, um but that's what i mean like in some sense like trauma a lot of the time creates these values or whatever um and it's interesting just because like yeah it's like so much of these things just like directly develop who we turn into um but something i do want to go into with you is because you alluded to your story a little bit and i'd love to jump into your story and how you became who you are today. And I'd love for part of this story, at least to go through the Saturn returns period. Cause it seems like I am where you, cause I'm 27. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and again, I was. You're moving to Mexico. Big yeah. Change. And 26 <laughs> is August when I, my spiritual side started to open up. Um, mm -hmm. August, I turned 27 in September. So it was literally one, I think it was like one month. I think it was like August 20th, a lot of stuff started to open up. So it was like one month, pretty much before my birthday, I started my 27th birthday. I started to develop a lot of these things. So I'm curious with you. Yeah, please take us through the story of your life and how you ended up where you are today. You mean from little? Yeah. From when I was little. young. Yeah. Well, I can nutshell it, but yeah, I, I found out that my dad was 
had cancer when I was seven. And my memories are pretty hazy of that. I, I think I was in denial about kind of intuiting that he was dying, but I don't know if it was ever like directly spoken because I had mm. two younger sisters as well. Um, so yeah, he died then when I was nine and I pretty much completely closed up emotionally from that point. Um, my middle sister, she cried a lot about it, but mm. yeah, there just wasn't a lot of emotional openness between us you know my mom really suffered and understandably right being left with three kids and losing the love of your life and but there was there was a distinct lack of support through that time which I don't blame my mom for but that's just how it was right that's just what it was so I was very emotionally suppressed but also very angry but not really connected to my anger mm. um so you know had acne all these things they put me on hormonal pills when really you know they never ever once asked, "Do you have any trauma?" Like, you know, it was just all. Well, one second, acne. What does acne have to do with trauma? Well, it's just, it's just like it's. Don't want to get too much into like the the narrow awfulness of some parts of allopathic medicine, but yeah, like I was really angry, and it was all coming out, like all of this emotional stuff. Like most people that have acne, there's like emotional stuff that they're not necessarily connected to so it's all coming out of my skin yeah yeah anyway the, my acne only went away really when i started opening up emotionally um mm. but yeah i went traveling when i was 26 i was like finally i need to go i wanted to go since i was 18 but i stayed in relationships and just did the safe thing and then that opened me up to a certain point and then I came back to a normal job and I realized this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, but I have no idea what I'm meant to do. And then I just quit and I went to a sexuality festival in this community in Sweden called Angsbacka. Then I met the love of my life, the guy I'm with now. And then we traveled. I got into this healing group, left that. And, but anyway, in this sort of healing group, that's where I sort of learned to open up to my emotions. And, and yeah, this was, was this? around. Yeah. So I was, 27 28 so saturn returns. 20, 27 was when i like left london and i met my partner and then i turned 28 soon after and then yeah and then i found out that i had this intuitive gift was quite psychic more than i ever realized i'd never really looked at any of that stuff because i never was around anyone that did anything like that and mm. so then yeah then it just it was sort of a big learning process a lot of a lot of healing work in these groups and learning about things and finding my own way through it. But before that, I was completely emotionally suppressed. Like I remember when I had my first big healing session, I would say, and they were like, oh, I want you to feel your anger towards your dad. And I was like, what anger? I have any anger towards him. <laughs> yeah. They were like, yeah, you do. And I was like, no, I don't. Like, he was great. And then I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to entertain that I could be wrong. I opened up, suddenly had all these images flashing. And I suddenly remembered all of the stuff that I'd kind of blocked out through denial, you know, just because I didn't want to remember the bad things, so, because, you know, mm. and then suddenly I was like, whoa, I was just, it was kind of like knocked me sideways for a day and a half. How I realized I'd been in denial for like 20 years about these things. I was quite wow. shocked. And so, yeah, then I would say it's been a process of, sort of opening up all of that, acknowledging it, accepting it and finding peace. And I'm still in the process of learning how to forgive him and work through all the trauma in my body from 
everything that happened. So, yeah. Wow. Do you mind taking us through your Saturn returns period a bit? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very, I'm very curious about that because I'm starting mine very soon. <laughs> so I moved back to London after traveling when I was 26. Mm. And then I went into a deep depression. Mm. I, I, I'd already started waking up, I would say, a little bit because I, I was writing every day when I was traveling. And then I started to realize things started to feel things that I hadn't felt because I hadn't really taken myself out of the norm. So then when I moved to London, I was working in jobs with people that you know, they didn't really want to make friends. You know, they weren't really my people. So I would come home and I would just be on my computer, like using the marvels of the internet, like looking up random people, looking up things about awakening. And I was sort of having these like kind of awakening moments in my room on my own, just wow. through just through reading articles. And then, see, so yeah, I was quite in depression. And then I then I hit 27. And maybe this was what, well, no, I, I'm not very good at time. I'm 27. And then, <laughs> like, the following year, I was still in the depression. And then I got to this point where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, everything started changing. I was like, I can't be a waitress forever. It's fine. Nothing wrong with being a waitress. I love it. But it's like, there's something else for me. So I just felt this calling, but I had no idea what I was doing. And then I... I started doing things I'd never done before, like going to Tantra retreats. I didn't even know what Tantra was. <laughs> so suddenly I had all this energy, which was like, okay, I'm going to do things I've never done before. And I went to the sexuality thing. And I, I remember looking at the board of all the workshops and I was like, hmm, that scares the shit out of me. That scares <laughs> the shit out of me. I'm going to do that. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what the hell? <laughs> so I just, I just had this energy to do stuff I'd never done. And I was, they say in your Saturn return that like, you know, bad things can happen, but also it can be really like intensely transformational. And mm. I would say like from where I was before to where I suddenly got to, I was like, I never would have expected that. I never would have written down, oh yeah, like by the end of it, you'll you'll be practicing healing and you'll be emotionally open and you'll be going to sexuality retreats. Like I would have been like, what? <laughs> so that, yeah, my whole, my whole sort of view of life changed drastically. And I, it wasn't like I was looking for it. It sort of just happened. So I started listening to my heart, to my intuition, mm. which I think I always did, but it was just clearer, like things happened that I couldn't avoid, you know, things like this random person that I met invited me to this uh, festival and I was like, she doesn't even know me, why is she inviting me? But it feels like a yes. And then my boss said, no, you can't take the time off. And I was like, fine. And then suddenly she said, you can take the time off. So I was like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> Just stuff like that. Like it's like the universe was conspiring to like push me out of my cozy little depressed nest, which uh, I wasn't happy in. So, so you literally you had most of your awakening moments while you were depressed. Yeah, because I think. Yeah, like. Well, I just, I had, I didn't, it wasn't like I had a bad life, you know? I was just really, I felt depths of loneliness. And it's mm. very easy to feel lonely in a big city like London because there's people everywhere. But if you don't have friends or you don't have your people, like I had one really good friend, but, you know, it's like, I was like, oh my God, I'm really alone. Where are my people? What am I doing here? I was mm, so trend. isolated. Yeah, so I went so inward, but in that inwardness, there was actually a light. And that's why I think, my depression was nowhere near as bad as some people's but it was definitely like you know it was a level of depression and 
it pushed me inside myself. And I guess in that way, I, I learned how to move out of it through, through reading things that helped me. Um, mm. But yeah, they were all obviously conceptual, but yeah. That's interesting. That actually mimics my past two and a half years, like perfectly in a weird way. Um, Cause yeah, like, you know, I moved in with my dad when COVID happened cause lost my job, all this kind of stuff. Right. So I moved in with mm. my dad and so it was like two and a half years. And then we have a roommate as well who lives with us, so the three of us. And it's interesting because, um, yeah, it's been like two and a half years of intense pressure. That's the only way I can, I can talk. And like, cause me and my dad, we're so much better than we used to be, but still it's like, we don't really see eye to eye fully like we're, it's just we're different people living different lives mm -hmm. and so what it's taught me is how to completely quarantine my energy like how to just wall myself off from like everything because also my father's quite emotionally volatile he's a very emotional person and that's up and that's down so it's just wild up wild down almost bipolar and so like essentially what I, ha I told him this i was like like you know when i'm on recording days when i'm recording podcasts i can't be around you um before i do a podcast you know like I, or at least if i'm going to be around you i'm shut off like you you won't be able to access me emotionally like i just i will be there but like i will be in a cocoon of energy you know what i mean and so it's interesting like it's taught me a very powerful skill of how to be in the eye of the storm and have the have the storm not affect you like that's just something I, I developed now and so i can be almost around anybody like people with like really big energies even at the gym or something i can just be around big alpha males and stuff and i can just be like so calm i can just be like in the eye of the storm just like focused like you know not right now and just and, and just move on and i think that like this was so important for me as being a podcaster because there's, I might get controversial. I might have stuff thrown at me. I might have allegations thrown at me. I might have reputational damage. And I need the ability to set the record straight in a very calm way and not to lose my marbles. So I can be like, hey, you know, I've, I've, I've heard these rumors being said of me. I just want to say, you know, this is exactly what happened. This is a fabrication. This is an, and this is an exaggeration of the truth. This is the truth. Um, and so it's like, it's this ability to just sit in the eye of the storm under enormous pressure, maintain your center to the best of your ability and to not fly off the handle. And also what's interesting is this all happened before my Saturn returns. So like, well, I mean, the last two years have been crazy intense. It's been like intense for the whole planet. So yeah, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm just like thinking, like, huh? I wonder. My, I wonder what my Saturn returns is going to be because it might be a completely different thing for me. Like, maybe my Saturn returns is tied with my Mexico trip. Maybe it's maybe it's like a lot of people. I think we have this idea like Saturn returns is always Saturn, you know, intense pressure, like focus, like it's it's this very Saturnian energy. But who knows? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe for me, it'll be different because I, I just came from so much of that. Maybe my sad returns will be kind of like a breaking open, like a liberation phase. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it'll be very interesting to see in two years when I'm around 30 
it'll be interesting to look back and have my own interpretation of Saturn returns that I can teach people and that I can mm-hmm. share with people. Because again, I think with a lot of you know teaching modalities is people get very locked into, this is what the Vedas said. This is, this is what this person said. This is what this guru said. And so everybody is always like, you know, this is how it is. And I think that every rule has an exception in some sense. I think that everybody's unique. Everybody's different. And that there are these truths in the universe, but all of us interact with truth from our vantage point, our advantage point. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, I'm like, you know, when I go through a lot of these things, I might have a story to share with people who don't gel with the with the usual way people teach this thing i might be like actually my experience was completely different than what other people have and so if you're anything like me maybe there's ten thousand people in the world like me a million two million five million ten million maybe like you all have been trying or you all have been fed a perspective of life that doesn't resonate with you because that is somebody else's that is an archetypal life path that you're not on And so maybe I'm supposed to be the one or one of the people who brings to the mainstream a different life path, a a different life path that looks at certain archetypal experiences in life a a different way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to categorize it really, but I would say for me anyway, it was just, it was a bit of a plot twist. It was, it was just, yeah, it was, it was just good to know that, once I realized I was in the Saturn return, oh, that's where there was so much change in that short period. Mm. But some people maybe know don't have a lot of change, but maybe there's a lot of internal change. Maybe there's yeah. a lot of, it, it can really, you know, it can really vary, but it, it, my my Saturn return was like textbook in terms of just huge changes in my life and mm. whether it was, I mean, it was cool because there was, it felt like there was so much energy supporting this huge direction. That was meant to change. And, huh. yeah. How long did it go on for? A year or two? Well, I don't know, because ever since I left my job in London and got into this new relationship, I moved into these healing groups, and that was a whole story in itself. And it, I only just left those groups this, no, last year. So oh. I would say the intensity of my life didn't really slow down oh. until, and and it's not necessarily slowing down because I think the energy of the planet right now is super intense and it it just is like, it's like we're all having to purge so much stuff. So I don't oh. necessarily feel like, I feel like your Saturn return might be extra intense or people who are in this portal because the energy of the planet is super intense right now. Like just... Mm like the amount of things that are coming up and just want to release and leave my body so I beget, become freer is, is a lot more than it ever has been, I would say. And not just because I'm more sensitive and tuned in now, just like, whoa. It just life events are different. And and also I'm curious because like I alluded to, um, as someone who has a lot of control with me, um, I sometimes have a, a struggle finding out how I'm supposed to come by information and guidance. Um, because I feel like the way I have to come by information and guidance is by leading the charge. And then essentially the universe corroborates um, or collaborates with me and I'm the instigator of the, of the change. And it's Do you very, know what, sorry. Do you on. know what your human design is? Yeah, I'm a manifesting generator. 
So your strategy is to respond. I know, which I don't get because I'm so that, used. Yeah, but I'm so used basically. to instigating things. Like honestly, Hari, like the idea of the universe bringing me things, all I have to do is say yes. Like that, ah, so calming. But I'm like, I have such a hard time even like imagining the possibility of that because I'm just I'm so trained that I need to make things. Ha- That's it. I need to make things happen. If I don't make them happen, they're not going to happen. But it doesn't mean that you don't make things happen. It's just about where it's coming from. So for me, right, like maybe for a long time, I wanted to be in control of making money, but it just wasn't happening (laughs) because it was coming from a fear. You know, it was coming from a fear of like, I'm going to run out. And I was being initiated into this experience of like, you just need to calm the hell down and you just need to trust in me. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And then I respond to what happens. Like people come to me and they want a healing session. I'm like, oh, something's happening i'm responding rather than coming from this huge fear of like i'm going to be in control and i'm going to do this fine because usually yeah i mean yeah i what i do the best thing i can put it down to is i follow my highest excitement i listen to my heart what what do i want to put out what feels good what feels authentic to me what feels true not because i want to make money or because i want to have clients that's it doesn't work for me it's like what feels true to me what feels real I do that and I flow with that. And then I wait to see what the universe pings back. It's not like, oh, I'm waiting, like, hurry up. It's more just like I'm responding to what's happening, like, oh, cool. Mm. And then I, I, t- I go on that. And then, oh, there's another thing here. Like, as soon as we let go of control and we just trust, things come. But if we're always trying to control, we don't see the little, like, notifications in the ether. Hmm. From your perspective, then... Do you, do you almost see it like I'm living like, you know, let's use me for an example. Um, or, or you, so like, let's say you're living your life. The old way of doing things is I need to f- make opportunities. Like that's like where I come from. I, okay. Let's use me. Cause I don't know you. <laughs> so the way I come from those things is I need to make opportunities happen because if I don't make them happen, they're not going to be presented to me. Um, so then there's the, the universe way that you're describing is you don't have to make anything happen. The universe will provide opportunities and you have to say yes or no to the opportunities being presented to you. Um, and then what making it happen is, is if it's a yes, going full throttle or full emotion, full inspiration, full passion into that. Um, so would it be accurate from your perspective that you don't have to make things happen, that the universe will always bring opportunities to you. You don't have to find them. How do you see that relationship with the universe? I think it's about really listening. And when we're always, you know, if we're always lost in anxiety or fear or whatever, then that's what we're seeing. That's what we're listening to. But if we're able to, A, not give that so much energy and B, move through that emotion that's arising then you actually start to be able to hear like the other subtleties the intuition the energy of like oh here so that's how i would describe it it's a tricky one because it's like it's both we have free will right of course we we do need to act in order to make things happen but life is already kind of it's always happening 
And it's about how we participate and how are we participating? Are we participating from fear and control and like, I need this to happen? Or are we acknowledging that maybe that's there, letting that go and then listening, listening, okay. Because it's all in here, it's all in the heart. It's like, I just, I just made a decision many years ago to tune into my heart more than my mind, listen mm. to that. And some days I don't know what the hell I'm doing. People are like, what are you doing today? I don't know. Like, and then I just listen and I'm like, oh, this is what I'm doing. It doesn't come from here. It comes from here. But it takes time. You have to, we're, we're trained to think only from here and to operate from here, which is the control mm. always. But once we sort of like let that take a back seat and we let our body, we let our heart lead, it's already, then you kind of feel like it's already happening. Like I'll tell you a crazy story, right? <laughs> Me and my partner broke up but we still went to this Tantra festival together. When, when was this? Last summer. Gotcha. We only broke, we didn't break up for very long, but anyway, like it was all, there's a whole other story that I haven't told you about and I don't want to go into now because it's very intense, but there was a whole reason about why that happened. Anyway, as I started like uncovering like all the reasons why it happened, I realized, ah, I actually think we're meant to be together once I removed all of the like blindfolds and all of the dark shit that was around me. And we did this exercise where there was like at least a hundred people in a circle mm. and somehow the universe aligned us perfectly <laughs> together where the exercise was saying, sorry, and I forgive you. And just like, like bowing down oh, and wow. saying, sorry, there's no way that I could have orchestrated that. There's no <laughs> way that I was like, I want to make sure that I'm in alignment with him in a room full of over a hundred people. And it aligned us together. It was like, we were meant to come back together. There's, it was just so that's what I mean. There's like stuff like that when you're really like in the flow, I would call it the flow state, and you're not trying to control things and like get in the way. When we get out of the way, it's all happening, it's all taken care of. And then we get, oh. we listen, we hear the messages like, oh, Anton, go over here. And you're like, okay. Like when you go to Mexico, they might be like, Anton, go go down that path. And you'll be like, why? And you'll be like, I don't know. And then you'll go and you'll just find you'll find the love of your life and the best tacos ever. And you'll be like, yeah, I'm going to listen to that voice. You know, it's just. <laughs> I, I, I hear it. What do you think the relationship between the heart and the mind is? If if the mind is not used to instigate things and the heart is used to, to instigate things, what is the role of the mind in your estimation? I would say the mind, like, I don't want to, like, shit on the mind. The mind is amazing. The mind is how we understand. The mind is, like, knowledge. The mind is like an encyclopedia. It's sort of how we show up and operate. But the heart is the wisdom. The heart is the feeling. The heart is the, is the portal to everything. Hmm. So when we make the knowledge and the, like, understanding everything the biggest thing, that's what we're going to get. As we move more to living a heart-based life, we're going to feel more. We're going to have more wisdom. And that wisdom is going to guide us rather than like knowledge. And I need to understand everything before I do it. And I need to be in control. The mind's more like a computer. The heart's more like intuitive. It, they feel mm. completely different. What I just had epiphany with, and, and I'd love your thoughts on this after. Um, it's almost like, the heart instigates new experiences. The mind reflects on experiences that are over. And what we often do 
is like the mind is what creates the framework for understanding existence. It's like if, if all we did was live by our heart, we would just be saying yes and no and being pulled like a string through our life. And it's like the mind that reflects, the mind that builds these models, the, the mind that dreams, like the mind, the mind is very creative. But from what I gathered, what we do is we've had all these experiences that are actually instigated by the heart. And we've built up this really big framework in this knowledge database. And it's a really incredible knowledge database about how the universe works, how the world works, how we work, how people work. And what we mistakenly do is then moving forward, we try to utilize the knowledge database we have to make all future decisions. And we've forgotten that the only thing that started our life, the only thing that we ever lived from was our heart. It was always the heart and our inspiration and our our heart-based curiosity, not mental-based curiosity, a heart-based curiosity that took us down this road and that road and you know, brought us into a convention and had us learn about this and had us learn about that and have us learn about Nazi Germany and all these things. And so, yeah, it's like we get fooled into, we build enough of a database that we then stop living through our heart and we instead try to live through our database. Well, and that database also has quite often a lot of trauma in it. That kind Mm. of, that then paints our picture of reality. So then you know, maybe the heart will be like, oh, let's do this. Oh, no, I'm not doing that because last time I got rejected. So it keeps us, because if you think about kids, like before they get homogenized and kind of conditioned, they're just like, Woo! like they're, they're just completely guided by like, they're not logical. They're just yeah. com- guided completely. So, yeah, I really feel like the whole journey is just about really reconnecting with our inner child not like hiding it away in this little box because we don't want to face all that stuff and just allowing ourselves to play like to be a kid is the best like that's what i I, like if i don't laugh in a day i know it's been a really bad day like i like i want to make i I just enjoy life and just like have fun and do things that i did when i was a kid because like if you don't enjoy and play then what's the point wow i i just i just realized as you were saying that our society demonizes children so much. Like we view children as fucking idiots. Like they are these instinctual idiots and we need as parents to take care of them, to make sure that they don't do anything stupid and that whatever their instincts tell them to do is foolish. Like that is our Western or the, at least the way, you know, in Canada where I was uh, brought up my aspect of Canadian culture. And so I am deeply ashamed of my child side. Like me, Anton Zakor. Like I'm deeply ashamed of that because I think that part of me is an idiot. And that part of me is not mature, not responsible. Um, No, it can't be loved. No woman would ever be attracted to a child. Um, No wise, mature human being would ever want to be friends with a child. So it's like literally... You know, and we talk about, you know, inner child work and I even talk about inner child work sometimes. But I didn't realize until just now, like, it's still from the lens of like the adult accepting the inner child, like the adult's right. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the, the adult will accept the inner child to a certain degree and then it will say, all right, that's enough inner child. You know, we're adults are at play here. We're working now. 
and you're going to go shut up in your room again. And then when I'm ready to talk with my inner child again, I'll let it out as the adult. I'll open the door. It's like always like the adult has control. The adult has the keys to the room. And the inner mm-hmm. child, as much as we're going, going like, oh, yeah, connect with our inner child. I like guess always like on like as an adult connecting with your inner child. It's rarely actually just being a child or being like very youthful. Um, and so that's interesting. That That's really interesting. Um realizing that toxic relationship we have with our intuition because our heart is kind of like a child it is excitable it's do this do that like almost how the heart communicates it's just through inspiration it's like yes and no you know what i mean it's not really logical it's more just like i want to do that and that's the right thing to do because from the heart i want to do that you know yeah, it's less, kids are less complicated because they haven't yet got all of the the encyclopedia of trauma that they're constantly referencing to stop them doing things. And But this is like, I do a lot of inner child work with people just to reconnect them with their inner child first. And then I say, is there something that you did as a child that you absolutely loved doing that you haven't done again as an adult? And then like they usually like, oh yeah, like they'll suggest something really cute and amazing. And I said, Can't do you have the capacity to go and do that? Give yourself some time to just go and do that. And usually like this, like the whole face changes and it's like, oh my God, like that permission to just do something you love doing as a child, like no matter how crazy or silly it is, like going and buying a rubber dinghy and just like floating in a pool for hours. Amazing. <laughs> like why don't we like give ourselves permission or, you know, buying yourself a toy and like cuddling it at night. Who cares? Like that's, that's mm. awesome. It's like the child lives within us, but like you say, it's not something that we have to like hide away. It's like, it's always here. Like maybe the child goes to the store and it wants to have sweets and let your child play sometimes, you know, because otherwise it all gets too serious and damn mm. intense. Wow, that's super uncomfortable for me <laughs> to hear that. It's like, it's super uncomfortable because I have like a feeling if I really let, what is this feeling? I, I have a feeling like if I let the child out, my life will fall apart. Mm. Ooh, I think it was because. That's the control thing, right? I yeah. let go of control because ch- children don't seem like they're in control. They're just free. Yeah. And maybe. Abandonment, I think, comes into that too. Abandoned in high school, abandoned. I don't want to like you know not in a victim way, but like and then like me and my mm-hmm. best friend broke up and in university, like my housemate. And I think I told myself a story that I need to be mature and responsible, or people will leave. And I, and I think I've been a prisoner of that story. I didn't even realize that that, that was immediately the, the story I started telling myself. And I don't, I can't even imagine, I have a very difficult time imagining a reality where I can be free from the shackles of responsibility and maturity that I've chained myself to. Wow. Well, is there something? Did something come to mind when I asked that question that you loved doing when you were like little Anton in Canada? The first, the first thing that, that's kind of like dumb that came up is I used to play a lot of video games, which 
I, I used to like video games and I stopped playing video games and I still play them like once a week or something. Um, but even that, I think like they're addictive and I kind of control myself. Like I only give myself like a few hours a week or something to play them. And then I thought of another one of like something about jumping into a lake or something, um, outside. And then like when you talked about the, the pool lounging in a pool, that kind of gave me simultaneously, um, a bit of anxiety and calmness because like even like on my off days like now i i schedule my off days i'm like okay you know on my off day you're gonna do you can play video games from one till three or you can do this for like it's still like because what i do find myself happening i'm curious your thoughts on this i find that i have a tendency when i'm given nothing I just like end up on social media on YouTube and it's so addictive. It's, it's, I realized this the other day. It's like, it's so hard because YouTube is always giving me exactly what it knows I want. And it's just like, just one after the other. And it's just like, if I don't schedule my days, the chaos of those algorithms will steal my day away from me in some sense. And so I literally deleted YouTube, Instagram, like I deleted everything off my phone the other day. It's just like, sometimes I just feel like an addict, man. Like it's, it's why I always tell people I don't have an addictive personality. I don't eat sweets. I don't eat, I'm off sugar for two and a half years, but I think my, my addiction is stimulation, you know? But it, it's that's how it's designed. I mean, and we most human beings, for the most part, are addicted to something, whether it's food, whether it's social media, and it's tough. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. sure you've looked at Gabor Marty's work about addiction, right? And it's just that lack of connection, or like that not wanting to be alone or be with ourselves, and it's mm. tough. Like we all have addictions to cope with this very intense world, and the only thing that I find helps for me anyway, is being in nature mm. because nature doesn't ask of anything of you. Nature is abundant and it's just, so that's what I find. And maybe that'll be amazing for you when you go to Mexico because you'll have so much nature where you can be out because you're not in cold Canada and you can be outside and just be like in the water or the jungle or whatever. Yeah. It gives it like, oh gives me anxiety to be in nature sometimes too. Cause again, I'm, I'm, I've conditioned myself to feel like if I'm not producing something, I'm wasting my time. So I feel like being in nature is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm terrified of wasting my time. And it's like, I, I, it's, it's almost like a trap that like I can never relax because wasted time is the is in some sense the definition of like relaxation like obviously it's not but like in some sense like when you're just doing nothing like you're relaxing and like i'm afraid like i feel like i'm just you know wasting my time if i just go in nature for a while you know this is like what you're kind of speaking of points to this capitalistic world we live in which is like do 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 there's and I think there's sort of an epidemic now of people like either getting burnt out or realizing that actually rest 
is one of the most important things that we can give ourselves. It's really, it's hard to get out of that like constant rat race, doing, doing, doing thing. I feel you because it's so it's so conditioned into us from school. Yeah, it's like even even these podcasts I do. Like I don't do them because I want to do them. I do them because I owe my community something, and I and I feel like I have a dream for what I what I want to accomplish in the world, and even that is capitalistic to the max. It's like I, I want to like be one of the premier podcasters in the world. You know what I mean? Like I want to be up there with Aubrey Marcus and some of these these legendary podcasters but why would you want to do something that you don't enjoy or it isn't a heart yes doesn't that like isn't that a bit soul destroying for me it is anyway this is the interesting relationship i have with it it does inspire me a lot like i i i love that but what happens in this capitalistic structure where i'm afraid of being homeless and i'm afraid of not having money so my dream becomes perverted by the need to maintain the dream to get money. So it starts off pure. It starts off just like, man, I, I like even that though. It's like if I lived in a communist country and I had a universal basic income, would I still have the same dream? It's like it's almost become so perverted that I don't even know why I'm doing it anymore. It's like it started off pure. I love podcast. I love talking to people, but it's become a job. It's like this thing that I love so much has become a necessity and an obligation to maintain, to schedule three every week. Because if I don't, things are going to fall apart. And the only way I grow faster is by doing more podcasts or by pushing yourself, by pushing myself. Like I is. Like, I have, like, a bit of anxiety right now even thinking about it. Like, I feel so trapped. Like, I feel – yeah, it's, it's it's stressful. I feel trapped by the merging of my dream and the necessity to survive. You know what I mean? But the thing is, like, from when we first spoke, it sounds like you're pretty sorted with money and stuff. Like, you know, sometimes we can get so caught up in this future idea of where we need to be and there's so much fear that we may not make it but we forget to look about what we have right now like maybe take stock of that like this is what i've got right now i'm okay like and this is probably where this trust and this like what you're working on this trust and this control right because it's like if you let go of control and you just trust that you're going to be taken care of and also just acknowledge like what you have right now which is you're, you're okay you're you're it's like wow like practicing gratitude is some of the best medicine you and the most simplest medicine that anyone can do it's the best <sighs> remedy for fear and for future stuff it's like so that's what i do anyway when i'm starting to freak out i'm like what do i have here like i, I have so much i'm so blessed yeah yeah it's um like, I've taken a month and a half off when I go to Mexico. Like, I'm not... Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, I was going to say, can you do that when you go to Mexico? Can you just yeah. chill for a bit? Like, Yeah. Even that, I have this, like, intense idea. Like, I need to try... Like, 
even my idea of travel is like capitalistic. It's like, I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to enjoy this place. I'm going to go on this hike. I'm going to get to the top of that mountain. I'm going to go to Puerto Vallarta. Then I'm going to go to Ensenada. It's like, it's so linear. It's so, it's goal focused. Like I'm not going to Mexico to enjoy Mexico. I'm going to Mexico to do this thing called traveling where I have the, I collect like Pokemon, these experiences Mm -hmm. And I catalog these experiences for my followers because I owe them content. And if I do not provide content, my gather, my I stop growing. And if I stop growing, I stop making money. And then it's like, so it's this whole thing. Like I'm, I just realized like how tra- like I didn't think I was so trapped before talking on this podcast. This is all coming up with you right now. Like I feel so trapped, and I'm like, I have you know, quarantine these fears. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, I just pretend like I'm not afraid of these things, but really, like, I just feel like obligated Mm. all the time. Like, and I just, I don't know how to, like, it's so hard to just enjoy life because there's always an expectation of the perception I'm supposed to have. Again, like, even just, going to on vacation it's like i have an expectation i better fucking enjoy it because i only have a month and a half and if i don't enjoy it i'm back to the grind for a year and then what if you let go of those expectations what if you let go of this concept like if you could just see this concept like i'm trapped it's just a belief it's just a concept you have only you have the power right like so if you decided like okay i'm going to take a month off i'm not going to plan my trip around mexico i'm just going to listen trust me by the way when i first went traveling i did the same thing as you i was like (laughs) planning everything booking all my flights it didn't work and i quickly learned ah this is not the way to travel and i just i let go but it took me some time to get to that point so i'm giving you a little heads up it doesn't work or it's not as enjoyable (laughs) Because you might meet someone and you'd be like, oh, I wanted to go party with them, but I got a flight tomorrow. Dang. And then you miss like you miss the way the universe wants to guide you because of your pre thought out plan. It's not so good. But I mean, of course, you can have that view that you're trapped, but it's just an idea. Yeah. You hold the power. You have enough money to support yourself to live for a while before you become a bum. So you're good. What if you... What if you just practice that trust just a little bit? I know that your goal about being a big famous podcaster is big, but it's taking more than a month and a half off and just living and being and just allowing yourself to be for a bit won't stop that happening if it's meant to happen. Yeah. But only you can feel that for yourself. I know. Yeah, and I think there's a deeper fear of not being anything. I think because a lot of time when I was growing up, I didn't feel like I was anything special. So I think I've clinged on to this ambitious dream as a way to make myself feel special. Where if I let go of the dream, it's like, who am I now? And it's like, you know, I'm curious to see what Mexico does to me. Um, me too. Because my soul told me to start scheduling podcasts again March 1st. So it's like, it's like my soul kind of is like boxing me in again. I know it's not. But it's like, okay, I know on March 1st, I need internet. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things and who knows, maybe I'll end up having to, to cancel them. 
which will be tough. Just let go of all of those future ideas. You're here right now with me in yeah. this podcast. None of that shit matters. Here, yeah. like right now. Like we get so lost in these future oh, projections. My God. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> like fuck. Oh Jesus. There's always there's always a million what ifs. But there's only right now. Here right now. And here right now, it's pretty chill. Speaking yeah. of you. I think I need to let my life fall apart and, and just see what happens and just yeah. like not schedule anything and let some people down. Like I just don't even plan it. Don't even yeah. plan. Just listen, <laughs> listen to your heart. Yeah. Just one step at a time. Yeah. Oh man. It's scary, dude. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's, ah, <laughs> It's scary, but it's also not scary. It's also exciting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if anyone else feels this trap sometimes, like below. below oh, sure. It. And like, like I just had no clue about it. You know, it's like imagine all the people that just like also feel the way I do and just like have no clue. And they've just told themselves they're happy and they're fine. But really, they're just. I was totally in one of those for 20 years. I was in a self-made prison. (laughs) And it was a bit of a slap around the face when I realized it. But then it was also amazing because I came out of it. Wow. Hmm. Thank you. This is, <laughs> this is where we're going to uh, spearhead the last 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I'm going to sit with this af- after the podcast. Hmm. Sit with this this just fear. Like, like you know, this fear of everything is going to fall apart. Like, I don't even know what that'll look like. I'm creating these things of homelessness and... Hmm. Yeah, I I understand. I have those fears too sometimes. It's they're intense. Yeah, and then letting go of this ambition, because like I think the ambition's a trap too. I think I've attached myself to ambition, or I think there's like a real dream, but it's been trapped inside this like alpha complex. Like I need to be an alpha. I need to be an like a type A personality to have any value, because my dad can't love me if I'm not a type A. Um, you know, so much of the, uh, people like mirrored back to me. My value is all these things. Like you're smart, you're wise, you're ambitious, you're bold, like courageous. Like, you know, a lot of people do say like they love my heart, but I like minimize that. And I'm like, yeah, you love my heart, but like you really love all the other, like, would you love my heart if that's all I was? Like, if I didn't have all these other glorious things and big dreams and ambitions, would you still love me? And it's like, it's, it's that, that, I think it's that fear. It's like, I don't feel like my heart, and in some sense, I don't feel like I'm enough at just like, yeah, yeah, that was the message. That was the message I was told growing up all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest core wounds that a lot of humans hold is I'm not enough as I am. 
I haven't. Yeah. Sure. Oh, makes me a bit emotional. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just want I just want this prison to be shattered. But I'm like well, you I already like are I'm shattering gonna... it. <laughs> Thank you. Just keep trusting and listening. Yeah. <sighs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Hari. <laughs> uh, so now, now uh, jumping into the end of this, you can even see like my whole body language, like my shoulders like drooping forwards. I feel like a little kid. I feel like a, a vulnerable little kid right now. Feel him. And then I feel ashamed of being a kid because I feel like that kid's not lovable. Mm. So it's like, yeah, it's it's scary just even feeling that kid because i'm like yeah a lot of people didn't value you a lot of people gave up on you mm. yeah it was it was like yeah that kid was just never enough you know so it's like that's why i'm afraid of my inner child because i'm afraid of yeah being abandoned again mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's not even safe being that kid. It's like that, like, mature father, big brother, tough guy needs to step in to protect that kid. And by protecting that kid, I can never actually see that kid. Yeah. It's like... It's like having a child, and the only way you can protect your child is to lock him up. So the world can't break him. Mm. And part of that is you can't see him either. So it's like, it's like I'm protecting myself by never allowing myself to be seen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, I'd be happy to schedule like a, in a child meeting with you. you (laughs) It doesn't have to be long, but if you wanted to, like, I could hold a space where you can go and meet little Antoine and we can just see what's up I'd be happy to do that for you that'd be cool and I'll definitely pay you for it for sure um yeah yeah that'd that'd be nice because I think that's like the root of all my fear I think that's like the root of my control challenges my control addiction is um yeah just like that little spontaneous kid's not enough. So mm. you need to control them. Well, even that, that was my upbringing growing up. I was expelled. Mm. I was expelled twice, sus- suspended like 25 times. So like the, the, mm. the unsaid thing was like, you got to fucking control this kid. You know what I mean? Like, mm. don't let him be himself. Like that's, that's dangerous. He's going mm. to spiral out of control. And he's, like, unfit for society. Like, that was pretty much, like, what it was, like, said to me when I was a kid. Like, I was, like, unfit for society. Like, I was a danger to everybody around me. I was an emotional danger. I was a physical danger. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I'm, like, deeply ashamed of that kid. And you're trying to prove that you're not a failure, right, by having this big dream. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. You're doing amazing. Nice. You see it all. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just want to be loved, man. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, yeah, I just want somebody to love me unconditionally and, like, code for I just you, want to be able to. You, I know. Yeah. You, you have to start with you because if you don't love yourself unconditionally. Yeah. It's a big journey, though. It's like, I don't love myself unconditionally all the time, but much better now than I used to be. What does it mean to lo to love yourself unconditionally over so only some of the time? I guess it's like when I have really big traumas coming up, there's a kind of like, you know, oh, I wish this wasn't like this or I, I want this to be gone. And it's not so much like that anymore, but any kind of violence towards myself and not accepting myself fully as I am, I'm not fully just loving myself as I am and just accepting that, this is my messy humanness. And so any kind of internal violence or criticism, I have a huge inner critic that's like yeah, constantly. And it's so destructive. And I have to catch this. So it's like, it's that that I'm catching. So sometimes it gets in because it's so strong and it's been there for so long. And, and other times it's like, oh, okay, no, it's okay. And I listen, hug my inner child or I'm with her. And, but it's a journey. It's it's an up and down journey, and all you can do is to have the intention that you want to really honor your little one and be with them and acknowledge and see them, basically see yourself. Do you know of anybody that loves themselves unconditionally all the time? Do you know of anybody friends with anybody, any spiritual masters or people you know of? I mean, I have an amazing friend. He's a fruitarian. He lives in Costa Rica and he is pretty amazingly happy all the time. I don't know if he's, if he loves himself all the time, but he's a pretty amazing being. And he's just always like, every time I talk to him, I feel relaxed and he always seems just really just accepting of himself and life. And mm. I don't know, but he, he's a person that comes to mind when you ask that question. But it, I think this is maybe we'll never be a hundred percent loving ourselves. Like maybe that's not the point. Maybe, Maybe like it's just part of our messy humanness to, but it's just about for me anyway, how I respond to what's happening and how quickly I can come back to like, ah, uh, the truth, which is, yeah, feeling my heart, mm. feeling the truth of this existence that you were talking earlier about how freedom is the highest value. And the biggest freedom is having freedom from all of this, the thoughts, yeah. the nastiness. It's like, it's always, it may always be there, but we don't have to give it energy. You can always come back to the breath and presence. Like right now, I'm breathing and I can feel my heart beating. And none of that, none of that has to have any kind of weight over me if I don't let it. And that's really the, the training that I put myself through. Mm. Like, okay, don't go into that. And if I do, it's also okay. I'm not going to hate myself if I do go into it because... It's just a part of our conditioning and we're trying to unravel from it, but there's no wrong in either way. It's just just how it is. Hmm. Yeah, man. That guy in North, uh, Costa Rica is my North Star now. If he, if, he, <laughs> if, if, if he can be 
accepting of himself most of the time. I know I can too. It's just like, yeah, it's gonna, it's a journey. Yeah. And I'm, I'm better than I was. Even the fact I'm able to get this vulnerable on a podcast, like I wouldn't have been able to do this two and a half years ago. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. I've kind of come a long, long way in two and a half years. A really long way. I look back at some of my podcasts two and a half years ago. I'm just like, I'm like an energizer bunny who was just like, what the hell was I talking about? You know what I mean? And it's just, mm. yeah, I've grounded myself a lot in two and a half years. And who knows where I'll be in another two and a half years. I just, yeah, just want to love myself more. Mm. That's a beautiful intention to have. Yeah, yeah, I I want to trust myself. I want to love myself. I just want to, like, trust I'll be okay if I don't have to fucking control everything. Because it's just painful. Mm. It's like, it's just always stressful. And I just want to be free. Yeah. And yeah, I want to help create a world where like we can all hold space for that, hold space, hold space for each other and like just make that process easier, you know, because like if, if we lived in a society that was just more accepting, you know, and be, that would be the dominant energy field around ourselves, you know, it would help, so gonna do what I can to help usher that in and do it for me and know that at the end of the day I'm doing it so I can help yeah just support my process of loving myself and yeah accepting like it almost even makes me think like if the if the inner child is such a beautiful thing to be like what is an adult you know What's the role of an adult? Is an adult just an idea? Because we're all just grown up children also. That we get told that we have to have all these like responsibilities, but I know people that just go and live in the jungle and they just live wild and they're free. Really? We can live we can live any way. It's just there's a certain way that's been prescribed to live that we've all been homogenized into. And that's what people are starting to move out of, right? And people are coming back to sort of living in grassroots communities and living closer to the earth, more in tune with the elements. And yeah, it's happening. Mm. The world is shifting, but it all starts with ourselves, right? Like if I want to live in a more accepting society and world, I have to accept myself and I have to love myself and practice that and that frequency is part of the whole because we're all one we're not separate so mm. it's just that's why i like matthias so much because he talks so much about unity <laughs> and about how we're not really special but we are at the same time because <laughs> we're living in duality you know and it's like we're just all part of this we're all one we just forget that and it's beautiful like to be reminded of all of those things yeah, I love Matthias. I'm excited to have him on my podcast one day. Oh yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love him. He's a 
He's a very loving dude. He's just very... I just love his vibe. He's so pure. It's almost like too pure for this world. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like her Western culture. Sometimes it's just like, how does this guy exist in our culture? Um, yeah. I like him a lot. Um, well, Hari. So now um, it's, it's plug time. So <laughs> if you could please uh, share with myself... Um, where we can all find you, um, social media, that kind of stuff, website, um, what you're currently working on, if anything, and what we can do to support you if we're uh, called to. Mm. Yeah. Um, so my website is sacredflute.org. And my Instagram is sacred underscore flute. So that's <laughs> pretty much <laughs> where I'm. you find me. Um, I, yeah, I work... I work individually with women, which is what I say on my website, but I do also work with men. I have been working with men too. Um, really, a lot of what me and Anton have spoken about kind of is a lot about what I do. It's about this relationship we have with ourselves, how we relate to ourselves, our inner child, this sort of thing. So it's called relational healing because it's, for me anyway, the most important relationship we do have is with ourselves. So. It's, yeah, all about coming into closer contact with ourselves, how to come in contact with our emotions, release them and connect more with the heart, like using the heart as a portal to alchemize these things, like, and really mm. holding a safe space for you to do that. Like, it's not me. It's just I'm holding this safe space to reflect you and to give you that support that maybe you haven't had in your life. And it feels it's so close to my heart because it's the journey that I've been on. And so I give the thing that I didn't have and I want to give back. So it really comes from a pure heart place and not because, oh, I want to make money and whatever, you know, like if I don't make money doing this, then I go work as a vegan chef or something, you know, it's not like <laughs> I have to do this. So it's, and then, yeah, I also work with couples too, because I've had a quite a long um, relationship with my current partner and we have been through all of the stuff. So I really have quite a good understanding of, you know, conflict and how to resolve it and how to come back together in love. And it's actually something I really love. I love holding space for couples um, to mm. come back to each other. So I really love to work with people individually or together. Um, yeah, just to really come back to yourself and to really feel that truth in your heart. That's really, and let that guide you through your life. Hope that mm. summed it up okay. Summed it up as well as you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Th thank you for uh, for a very beautiful conversation. I I, th I think this is the first time I've cried on camera. So amazing. Thank nice. you for sharing your vulnerability. Yeah, and then, yeah. Thanks for yeah creating a, a space that's very yeah safe for that. And not not everyone can do that. So, yeah, yeah, you you have a gift with that. So you're definitely Thank doing you. doing the right thing, doing the holding <laughs> space for people because you're good at it. Mm. Um, so hold. Thank you for holding space. Uh, yeah, for me. Happy to. 
Right. Yeah, and thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been such a pleasure to have these amazing conversations with you. Mm, beautiful. All right, Harry, take care. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show today, everybody. If you enjoyed it and you want to show your support, be sure to click the subscribe button and share this podcast with someone you feel will enjoy it. And before we go, I want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Listening to Smile and Indigo Sun. And if you're interested in anything I mentioned regarding either of them, be sure to visit their websites, which are linked in the description of this podcast. And that's it. So I'll see you all in the next episode. I love you. Bye.